0: absolutely there is risk associated with dealing with THC flower so you know you got to go into this with eyes open and if you're going to go into it you need to make sure that you're well educated and that you're taking the time to implement you know SOP standard operating procedures for how you're going to go about it you know what happens if our shop gets raided because a competitor or a parent or a you know, prohibitionist or a big marijuana company, you know, reported you for selling real marijuana, and you get a raid. they come up, and these issues come up. Are you going to be prepared to deal
1: with it? You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up
0: and listen up. Here's your host Shada Taravi.
1: Hello and welcome back to the To Be Blunt Podcast. I'm your host, Shaded Tarabi, and I appreciate you so much for tuning in to another episode of the show. I also have to apologize because I feel like with the new year, I've been all over the place. I've been a little inconsistent with the podcast and... Blinking now, we're practically in February, which means that March and South by Southwest is right around the corner. And for sure, more to come on South by Southwest as I do have a talk officially selected this year on the future of chemically derived cannabinoids, which y'all know is one of my favorite topics to get into as this industry unfolds. But More on that later. Right now, today, we are bringing up another topic to highlight for you all, which is the recent introduction of THCA hemp flower into the conversation. Maybe this is your first time hearing about THCA flower, or maybe you're like, Shada, isn't that just marijuana? Or maybe you're like, oh no, here we go again when it comes to the fast-paced evolution of the hemp side of the cannabis industry. And all I can say is it's a little bit of all of the above. THCA flower hit the market within the last six months, of course, primarily in states without mature adult use marijuana programs. And yes, THCA is the precursor to Delta 9 THC, which is the main psychoactive cannabinoid in marijuana. So you might be wondering, like I've been, are people getting away with selling weed across state lines and is that even legal? Well, good news, my curiosity and yours can be confronted today because I've brought along cannabis lawyer Rod Kite, who has been a vocal advocate speaking out on a range of topics from smokable hemp to Delta 8 and now THCA flower. He resides in North Carolina and splits his time in Mexico and has been practicing cannabis law for over a decade. He works all over the industry with clients from marijuana to hemp, international to stateside, and we are going to dive right into it today. No questions are being held back. And also a disclaimer, this is not legal advice, but if you want to talk to Rod more, I'm sure he would love to hear from you. But really, I just wanted to hear from someone who is steeped in legal language to help us make sense of this seemingly new product hitting the market across the United States. So without further ado, join me by lighting one up and let's welcome Rod to show.
0: So hi, my name is Rod Kite. I'm a lawyer. I am based out of North Carolina although I lived part-time in Mexico as well, and I have been a cannabis lawyer for almost a decade. I started my cannabis law journey by writing a book called Cannabis Business Law, What You Need to Know, and the reason I wrote the book was because I wanted to practice cannabis law, and, I, and lawyers, if they want to practice you know, workers' compensation or tax law, can typically go and buy a book or books and learn about it and kind of dive in, and there was no such book. And so I oh, I learned this, and I dug in, started writing for myself and then pitched it to a publisher who picked up on it, published that, and then started writing a blog thereafter. I've been practicing law for about two decades, maybe two and a half now, and I've done over the course of my practice, lots of different areas, but I I landed, ultimately, I'm just a business lawyer and able to to translate my prior experience in bankruptcy and and complex litigation and transactions into a, a practice where I represent businesses in the cannabis industry. And the reason that I, I practice cannabis law is I've always been a fan of cannabis. Back in the day, back in the you know when I was in high school and college, I just believe that what we put into our bodies is our own right and sort of a you know just a quality or a, a freedom of our over our bodies kind of an issue. I never really thought of cannabis as medicine. I thought, well, if people experience it as medicine, that's fine for them, or maybe it's just a Trojan horse to get in legalization, whatever. That's fine with me, but I never thought about it seriously until I had cancer, and I was doing all the right things with taking the medications and going through chemotherapy, and I tried cannabis, not that I hadn't tried it before, but I tried it you know, specifically to see if it would help my symptoms, frankly not expecting much at all, and it was overwhelming, the benefits that I experienced immediately. I, I, the, the nausea that often accompanies chemotherapy, the aches, the pains, the sleeplessness, the anxiety, just all the things that, that come with the chemotherapy regimen radically minimized. And so I, I started using cannabis regularly, talked to my doctors about it. I can still live in a prohibition state with respect to to marijuana at least. And, but it really opened the eyes to my family members and doctors and friends. And I thought, this is something I want to do. And so how do I get involved? And then circle back around to figure out how to get involved. And, And there was no set path and I started writing. And just to wrap this up, I represent businesses in the cannabis industry throughout the United States and throughout the world. Our, my practice tends to represent more clients in the hemp side of things. And that's literally just sort of a, not an accident, but maybe just, it was just what was happening at the time. I was in North Carolina. I thought I'll get licensed in Oregon, which I'm licensed and figure out how to bridge that gap. But what happened is that was about the time that the, the first farm bill that addressed hemp came into being and people started calling me about CBD. And so I focused really heavily on CBD and came up with the source rule, which is kind of helped the industry to, to emerge. And and then that business just drove that way. And the hemp industry itself has, as I'm sure we'll talk about some, and you know with your business, has really blossomed into a full-fledged industry. And now we have this sort of canna ecosphere with, with marijuana and, and cannabis or hemp, and, and and they they get along in some ways, and they don't in other ways, and all the different ins and outs. So anyway, I, I've enjoyed participating in all that. So I'm really happy to be here with you and happy to talk about the legal aspects of cannabis and hemp and anything else
1: no I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast I have to admit you have done such a great job creating content on topics that obviously the cannabis industry at large predominantly speaking of marijuana hasn't really had to deal with or focus on or address and I think some of the early blog posts I saw you you know kind of creating topics around or creating content around topics related to Delta 8 which obviously has a really interesting history and role in the hemp industry here in the United States. And depending on what state you live in, a little bit more open, a little bit more friendly. And so I've just been using you as a resource and have been very familiar with you and your work. And and obviously, we're going to get into some THCA conversation because I think that that's really a pressing and relevant recent kind of topic. But before we get into some of those things, I do want to circle around a little bit. You highlighted it so great in your introduction, which thank you again for kind of highlighting that background for us. I do think it's important for the listeners to understand, especially from a legal perspective too, right? Like there really weren't... Now you can go to school to some extent and major Mm -hmm. in cannabis and you can take minors or take certain classes that will educate you on what's happening in the industry. But it sounds like you really had to define what that looked like for your own business and kind of apply it back to the practices that you had learned. And so I find that I'm also in a very similar, definitely not of like a legal background, but just like as a person who's operating in the industry, it's like, oh, interesting. Not a lot of this is actually documented or decided. So we're figuring it out as we go. And so I can't imagine what you experienced over the last kind of decade navigating this industry because I've been in it for going on five years this year and it feels like it's been a lifetime already. And there's still new <laughs> things that we're unpacking. But with that, you're in North Carolina, which I know is not a legal marijuana state. You also address that. Give us just a pulse on what is hemp like in north carolina what is medical marijuana what is the path for adult use recreation i also really like to bend the ear of my guests in these differing states because i think it really helps us give a picture of what's going on outside of our own market right and sometimes we get so caught up in my state and what's happening locally but i think to learn from you i don't know a ton about north carolina and so i'm excited to hear what it's like for operators you know really kind of navigating these different levels of cannabis legality within the state yeah sure well well, it's kind of interesting so so north carolina does
0: not have medical marijuana Uh, there is a bill or there was a bill last last session that's probably going to be reintroduced and we may get medical marijuana there's no path currently for recreational marijuana north carolina um, has some more, more progressive places charlotte Asheville. A triangle, but the state is is a deep southern south southern state, and and there's a lot of conservative politics as well, and so we don't have that pack. But that being said, when we talk about cannabis, the botanical term cannabis, the plant, it's actually this is going to probably sound crazy to some of your readers. It's one of the best cannabis states in the country, and that's because uh, North Carolina was an early adopter for hemp, and like a lot of the early adopters, I think the original our thought was, well, hemp is. Is going to save farmers and we're going to grow these tall, stalky things for fibers and whatnot. And that's a wonderful side of cannabis. That didn't, as we know, it hasn't yet quite connected even after 10 years, but the cannabinoids starting with CBD and, and, and then smokeable flour, and all the things we're going to discuss really did take off in North Carolina. And just as a, as a the way the political atmosphere is now, there, there was an early attempt to ban smokable hemp when well, that first became a thing. There's a huge pushback from the hemp industry, which which had galvanized and grown pretty rapidly in the early years that defeated that measure. And then when that happened, it was almost as if uh, North Carolina lawmakers just said, well, the heck with it, and, and just left it alone. Our hemp program almost expired this past summer. And we actually had a, a kind of an urgent we've got to get things passed. The legislature came in at the last minute and passed one of the most you know, liberal progressive hemp laws in the country. And it seems to be hands-off. And so that has allowed growth of cannabis in all sorts of different legal forms in North Carolina. So it's a great place for hemp. It's a great place for cannabis. And I certainly hope it stays that way.
1: Yeah, I definitely have been tracking North Carolina in terms of the smokable hemp ban because here in Texas, we lost our smokable hemp ban. And just for the listeners, the way that it ended up getting passed, it was very back and forth. I think it was in appellate court and then it went to the Supreme Court and then finally the state decided on an outcome. And it is legal to possess. It's legal to cultivate. It's legal to retail sale, but it's illegal to manufacture and it's illegal to process. So basically (laughs) you can have it, you can sell it, but you can't have it from processed or manufactured place in texas so essentially you grow the plant has to leave the state and then come back in and obviously with every law i feel like the other side of that is the regulation of it and so when the law means- changed in june of last year 2022 we haven't really seen regulation but we did just get a nice email sent out to all the license holders saying we're going to start regulating in march of 2023 so i'll be really keen to see how they regulate yes. and if they're regulating and. That is also running concurrent with Texas's 88th legislative session, which kicked off earlier in January. Right. I, I, we have a couple other hurdles that we're navigating from these other cannabinoids, delta eight, hemp drive, delta nine, just you know isomers and synthetics and synthesized cannabinoids in general yes. language. So it'll be really interesting to see what goes on in our state. But that's great to hear that North Carolina had whatever it was—the support, the communication, the you know opportunity to go communicate to the state the importance of you know, having smokable hemp definitely gives us a little bit of hope and aspiration here in Texas that maybe our laws can go for the positive for the program as well. So going well, Everyone's into...
0: looking looking at Texas, I will say. Texas, everyone's watching when it's going to happen. And as as you mentioned, there's yeah, the, the smokable hemp litigation and everything else was just wild. It's insane, the, the ruling, but I'm certainly at least happy at a minimum that there's smokable hemp there. I was part of the Delta 8 legal team that got the injunction. That's been crazy. It's t- Texas is- well, it's Texas, right? And, yes. Um, so, well, good luck. I hope things work out for sure, and we'll be watching.
1: Thank you. Yeah, we're 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 rolling our sleeves up. I like to say, you know, that we're getting ready to do some good work. But at the same time, I'm grabbing popcorn because it, you know, at some point, you just have to watch to see what the state's <laughs> going to do. So it's a little bit like, okay, right. we're going to work really hard, and then also it's out of our control. So we'll see what happens. But you were mentioning the more progressive hemp laws that were passed in North Carolina. Just to get a better understanding, I mean, we've certainly touched on some of these other sure. kind of cannabinoids and components. What has what? What was it? What did they pass? What does that allow? What does that not allow? Or maybe it was so open-ended that it really doesn't disallow anything other than, you know, maybe the less than 0.3% delta 9 on a dry weight basis. But I'm just curious to learn how robust your hemp program sure. is compared to what we're dealing with.
0: Right, right. Well, you know, I think it's a little bit of the latter, and that is that maybe progressive is actually the wrong term as I think about it. We have a very short law, maybe, and it doesn't prohibit a whole lot. It it tracks the federal law very, very closely. With one exception, it's positive. It doesn't just talk about hemp, but it search the word products. And that's helpful, yeah. of course, because, you know, retailers and, and manufacturers and distributors even can kind of struggle under certain state laws where, where there's a lot of regulation and statutes addressing cultivation and then just a nothing, you know, well, where, where do our products be? So North Carolina did add that. North Carolina is one of the small handfuls of states or handful of states that did not propose a hemp cultivation plan to the USDA. So for the listeners out there that are unaware... A USDA regulates hemp production, that's cultivation, same thing, uh, throughout the United States, but a state can regulate it within its own borders if it proposes a plan that the USDA accepts. You propose a plan it has got to check all these boxes, and most states do that, and most states have an approved plan, and they regulate hemp. North Carolina never submitted a hemp plan, so we're under the USDA regulation. Which I think, in the big picture, is is actually pretty good. The USDA regulations, uh, we all have bones to pick with the various ones, but it's fairly straightforward. And some states that went in to regulate themselves got so gung ho that they sort of regulated themselves out of out of existence, or you know, out of existence in the hemp industry. So we're happy that, frankly, that right now USDA regulates production, and that we have a pretty straightforward and short law in North Carolina that that allows us to explore and experiment with all the different ways that hemp can be grown and manufactured and distributed and all the different products that come from that.
1: So no issues for North Carolina in terms of Delta-8, any language around synthetics or synthesized cannabinoids, any issues with hemp-derived Delta-9, or the state's just kind of like, it exists and we understand that, like, because obviously from our perspective as a Texas operator, we have a very, very, very rudimentary medical marijuana program. And that to me, you have to have some medical program and operation to get to adult use. But here we have a hemp program, pardon my language, we have a hemp program that is pretty much selling on par the same types of cannabinoids that a medical or an adult use program would within reason. And it's just so fascinating to me. Obviously, the state knows that. And so it's creating conflict, I think, for what we're trying to do. But I think the bigger picture is who regulates what and where do you put it? And obviously, you've seen certain states like Colorado that already had their robust adult use medical program. Mm -hmm. They saw Delta 8 hitting the market and they were like, absolutely not. We don't want to have that. And so it's just hard to tell what's right and wrong. And I never like playing the game of this is explicitly right or this is explicitly wrong. It's more just let's try to Mm -hmm. understand it because I do have a lot of customers who love Delta 8. They swear that Delta 8 is more beneficial yeah. to them than Delta 9. And as an operator, it's my job to provide the highest quality of those products to the consumer to make right. their best educated decision, not to have the state come in and stunt, or the federal government come in and stunt that. So I'm just curious on that on that topic, or those topics with North Carolina, was that language even brought up? Does the state even, are they aware of it, or were they just like, carry on? We don't know what we don't know.
0: Right. Well, I don't think it was carry on. I think it's more... You know, there's maybe a little bit of not knowing what's going on, maybe a hands off approach. And that may change. And I think what I maybe like to, you know, respond to your question in a a little bit of a broader way, and that is that we're seeing cannabis broadly, using that term botanically, being used all over the United States. You know, the the genie is out of the box. Cannabis is being used. And so now there is still some resistance from prohibitionists. There always will be, but now it's not a war of cannabis against prohibitionists. Unfortunately, it's cannabis of cannabis. And so we're seeing, you know, what I like to call big marijuana, the big corporate multinational interests that have established themselves mostly on the West Coast and, and, and Midwest have, have come in and they've gotten established. And now, wait a second, we don't want anyone else to play. And so typically where you see the most established sort of big marijuana is where you see the most regulated hemp. In other words they big marijuana doesn't like to sheep him and competing with it but i still have clients and this is changing with you know retail operations probably much like yours that sell an array of products and they'll have clients that come in and say hey you know but when's the real stuff going to be here well this is the real stuff these are all the same cannabinoids While i was thca flower this is essentially the very same flower as well you know cannabis is, is here we have it it's legalized and I like to say that, you know, while we appreciate all the efforts of the years for medical marijuana to really sort of kind of begin to break down the door and help people understand the medical benefit, really the the normalization of cannabis has happened through hemp. And that started with CBD. You know, CBD was highly controversial when it came out. And we have people now, you know, their everyone's grandmother takes CBD, you know, or what it's just completely non-controversial. And wait a second. Oh, this is this is cannabis. This is marijuana. What, you know, or, or hemp? you know, th- this is that plant. And then to your point, Delta eight, you know, there's a lot of, of pushback on Delta eight. And I certainly understand it and respect that. I mean, we the last thing we want is to be testing out you know, new products on on, on an unsuspecting public. But Delta-8's been studied for decades. Really, the issue has to do with the manufacture of it. And are there residual, Absolutely. you know, acids and, and regions and things like that that are left over that can be toxic and harmful? And that's a huge issue that does need to be regulated. But why Delta-8 itself? People like it. My, my clients tell me routinely the very same thing that you've said, that their customers, a chunk of them, prefer Delta-8. It's not, well, Delta-8's all we can get. It's like, we like Delta-8. Right. So we're, we're seeing that hemp not only sort of normalized cannabis, but it also, whereas the marijuana world's always been focused on sort of THC, understandably hemp is where, you know, these other cannabinoids, CBN and CBG have all been, are all being explored. So I really love the cannabis plant and, and the industry as a whole, but when it comes down to it, I think the hemp industry has done a phenomenal job in breaking down barriers and, and who wants to see. The Walmartization of Wheaton, certainly not me. You know, when people had visions of the legalization of cannabis way in the future, were they thinking it would be a handful of, you know, multinationals that controlled everything and you have a limit? Or did they see, hey, maybe we can grow some cannabis and we can have a shop and, you know, Main Street versus Wall Street, right? So I'll I'll, I'll wrap up there. I don't want to get on a soapbox. But to that point, I think North Carolina is one of those states just historically speaking the way things played out, has been good for, for hemp, which means good for cannabis. And I certainly hope that that continues as we're s- going to see a medical marijuana bill come through. And I have grave concerns that that may be- begin to sort of push back on that. Uh, but yeah. these are things that we're seeing happen all over the country.
1: No, I I but, very much am in line with your observations and your statements. It is very much cannabis versus cannabis. And again, I think states like ours, where we do not have these mature medical programs or these adult use programs to really exhaust the state from a cannabis perspective. Now you have hemp, which is more educational. It's being more accessible to people of all different ages, backgrounds, demographics. We love telling our customers, you know, if you're, you don't want to get high, like that's great. There's ways that you can enjoy cannabis without getting high. and just like, shaking up mm-hmm. people's thoughts of what cannabis exclusively has been positioned as for all these years. But we are personally feeling, I'll speak for myself in this capacity, with some of these laws that are happening in our state, with what's happening with medical marijuana, now the bills that are coming out in the language that is threatening the hemp program. It's like, I understand you're mad, medical marijuana, because you have <laughs> sunk a lot of money into a program that mm-hmm. is not growing to the extent that you want it to grow and oh here by the way are we selling delta 8 and hemp drive delta 9 and now thca flower and how does that compete and and again to my point who regulates that and what program does that go under and it's not going to be pretty right for it to get dealt with in any capacity i think you don't have good examples of states who have really settled it correctly and so i think texas to your observation being a very large state, being a, a very populated state, people are you know every time I talk, to people like oh yeah, we're waiting for Texas. What's happening in Texas? I'm like, yes, we're also waiting for Texas to see what happens. Yes, like, it. Everyone it's like to happen, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. But being an operator in it, it's still very tumultuous uh, in, in in you know in good and bad ways, obviously, right? So, moving on, you were mentioning THCA flower, and that's what I had originally originally kind of reached out to you about, and I'm really excited to talk about THCA flower because I've done very limited research to the extent that i feel like is out there but it's obviously a very controversial topic depending on what state you're coming from depending on what side of the conversation you're in and so for people listening i'm sure they're like duh i know what thca is it's you know (laughs) the the chemical cannabinoid before it gets converted through decarboxylation to turn into delta 9 thc but that kind of aside what is thca flower where did it kind of come from all of a sudden? I have some inclinations in terms of, you know, just the conversations we've had of Delta-8, like where did Delta-8 come from all of a sudden? It's like, well, Delta-8's been around for a long time. It's just now people are figuring out, I hate using the word loophole and you're with your background, you're probably like, I hate that word as well. So whatever the better legal term is to use the interpretation of the law, like where did THCA flower come from in the capacity that you're seeing it pop up in What I know is more hemp-based cannabis states. I don't know if you're seeing it being sold as THC flower in, let's say, California or Colorado, but I just laid a lot out there. I'd love to just dive in wherever you think is the best place to start.
0: Well, let's dive right in. I think this is the, the issue right now, and this is the calls that we're getting. But to contextualize it, you know, the beginning of my practice, the beginning of the hemp jury, this We're getting the same kind of call, the same sort of controversy, the same sort of interpretations, loophole, everything else about CBD. I remember a lot, yeah. and, and, from, and from hemp supporters. I remember a conversation I had years and years ago with a friend who was a major hemp supporter, but he called me up, and he was very upset. He said, like, Rod, CBD gummies are not hemp. I mean, we can chuckle at that now, but this was where things were with CBD. Sure. And then smokable hemp, oh my, smokable hemp, are you kidding me? And then, you know, Delta-8, and then Delta-9, and now it's THCA flower. And this has been the, the natural progression. So THCA is, is just the CBD of today, really. It's it's a controversial issue. I appreciate that you brought up the word loophole. That just pops out. Every time I bring it up, it seems like someone likes to use the term loophole. Well, you know, a loophole is, by definition, something that is lawful. You know, it's something that, it just means something that's lawful that people think shouldn't be or yeah. or to, technical thing but but whatever um so THCA flower just to dive right in um, for the listeners and most people who are watching probably know but THCA flower I think the formal name to the extent there is one would be THCA hemp flower and what that means is a a harvested cannabis biomass or bud typically a bud with high levels of THCA, typically somewhere above 10 and below 20, I've seen some above 20, but you know high levels of THCA, but with the delta-9 THC concentration, I'm going to start referring to that as D9. I think most people can, can live with that. D9 that does not exceed 0.3% by dry weight. And why is that important? It's important because that is the definition of hemp. So in, 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 under the law, cannabis is not a term of art, at least under federal law. I'm big. we'll start with federal law. Cannabis is a botanical term. There are two types of legal of cannabis under the law. There's marijuana, which under federal law is illegal, and there's hemp, which is legal, not a controlled substance. And it's kind of, it's very binary. Hemp is not a controlled substance at all, period. Marijuana is a Schedule One controlled substance, which is the highest level of control there is under U.S. law. And the only distinction between those two is the concentration of one cannabinoid, that delta-9. If it's above 0.3%, it's in the marijuana category. Is it below 0.3%, it's in the hemp category. And so the reason this is controversial, and it is right now, is because THCA flower is really the same thing that we know and, and have understood to be marijuana. And that's because the cannabis plant itself naturally expresses large concentrations of THCA, but not a whole lot of Delta 9. And but THCA, again, I, I feel like I'm saying things that most of your listeners will, but I'd, I'd like to, to bring it into context no, for, it's for helpful. our later discussion. THCA, when it is exposed to certain conditions, most notably heat, it will go through a chemical com- conversion called decarmoxylation, and it will convert to delta-9 THC. And so when you go to a state like Colorado or Oregon or California, and they advertise THC at being 20%, most of that THC is actually in the form of THCA. And, and then when you combust it, you're vaping it or or, or smoking it, that's converting it, and you're actually inhaling delta-9 you know, primarily. And so this THCA flower is very similar to, and in many respects, exactly the same flower, but it, it qualifies as, as lawful hemp, and that's why it, it's so popular. When I talk about this, I have a few questions that people ask or, or come back at me, maybe it's a better way of saying. And the, and the first thing I say is, no, 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 Rod, the USDA, that regulates hemp has a total THC standard. And what that means is that if you're a licensed hemp grower, which you have to be to, to grow hemp, and you want to ha- you want to harvest your hemp before you can harvest it, the USDA or, or the state representative, if you're in a state that has have a USDA approved plant, will come out, they'll take samples, and they will test your plant. And that, the combination, and I don't want to get into the math here, and the people who are watching you show probably a lot of them know the math, but the combination of Delta 9 and THC are taken in, into consideration And that combined value cannot exceed 03 percent It's called a post-decarboxylation testing method. That's how it's referred to in the statute. Most people just know that as total THC. So in other words, in order to harvest your hemp plant, you have to pass a total THC test. But at that point, once you've harvested your plant, the USDA's jurisdiction ends. It governs production, cultivation of hemp. Thereafter, other federal agencies may intervene depending on what use that cannabis is being directed to. If you're making, you know, if you're if you're extracting it and then using it, in for CBD oil, well, just to use an example, the FDA, the agency that takes over, hasn't really done a good job. But that's a different discussion altogether. But well, one agency that does look into all this: is the PDA. And the DEA regulates determines whether or not something is controlled and they and they regulate controlled substances well the DEA has said on multiple occasions just what the statute it says itself is and that is hemp is is cannabis with no more than 0.3 percent delta nine the only metric and so once you've sort of satisfied the USDA guidelines you've harvested your hemp and that hemp is out in the world the only metric is the delta nine and and then I think for people that maybe don't grow or don't know there's a question about well, wait a second. it passed a total THC test here. How can suddenly it have a lot of THCa later? Well, there are are sort of two ways that happens. One way is that, that really advanced growers use certain strains, but it's mostly, as I understand it, I'm talking with clients. I'm fortunate enough to represent some of the best growers in the world, and I pick all, I pick their brains, you know, for a lot of information. But but you know, you can regulate some a lot of the variables, and one of those variables is is the is their harvesting time. So, for example, you're growing a plant. They come out and test it maybe a little bit on the early side and you pass a total thc test but then you have 30 days to harvest well during that 30 day window if it's timed exactly right right the thca concentrations can begin to rise and sometimes very precipitously and then you harvest it and you've got thca and then you need to preserve it because you don't want this to do carboxylate. you want the delta 9 stable at 0.2 percent and then you have i've heard of all sorts of things like cryogenically freezing and drying and there's different methods you can take to to maintain that. And, and it's difficult to imagine how someone can argue that this is not lawful, right? You've got a USDA licensed grower who grows the USDA or state review and comes out and samples it, passes a total THC test. They harvest within the legal window. They harvest that, they trim it up. It's all nice. They get a tested post harvest. It's no more than 0.3% delta value, which is the only statutory thing. That's just hemp, right? Regardless of the THCA levels. So that's one sort of track. One thing that that I we are seeing, though, is that a lot of people in adult use of medical marijuana state, that industry is suffering for a lot of different reasons. They're pointing the finger at hemp, you know, too. There's a lot of regulation over taxation. And they're saying, wait a second, we're looking at our COAs, our certificates of analysis, and it looks like our marijuana would actually qualify as hemp. We've only got 0.2% Delta 9 and 15% THCA. I think we're going to sell this into the hemp market. And there's a lot of legal issues that are probably, you know, beyond the scope of this podcast about that. But to someone out in the world, a wholesaler or a retailer, who says, hey, you know, I've got a line on maybe getting some good product from my store. Excuse me, I would like to purchase, you know, 10 pounds of hemp, specifically no more than point three percent Delta 9. Do you have that? Oh, yes, we do. Thank you very much. They send it to you. It passes. The DEA and the statute itself say that that's lawful. So I, I certainly, there, again, there's a lot of issues about buying from a non-hemp grower or, or product that maybe came from a non-hemp grower. I, you know, that there's a lot of problems with that. But – from a flower that's floating around in the world, that's that's the standard. And so we have this sort of these two tracks that are coming in. There's a lot more to discuss. I feel like I'm just kind of going on and on, but but maybe I'll stop. And if you have other questions and if not, I'm happy to go on and talk about some of the issues that we're seeing and some of the risk factors and concerns that people have.
1: no i definitely want you to keep going i find this so fascinating especially the way that you're explaining it it's very helpful to, to me to understand it because you are already were answering the things that my brain is jumping to one yes it can be legal as long as the delta nine is less than 0.3 but how do you get the thca to not count for the total when you're testing but i understand not by any means am i a cultivator but i can understand just that window of testing between the usda tests and then when you're harvesting for the plant to mature it's thca then you're talking about marijuana which is another concern externally i'm getting approached by people who say i have thca flower and i'm thinking where did that come from does it have to come from a licensed hemp grower versus obviously someone who's growing marijuana even if the coa says it's fine, I as a retailer, I need a COA that says that what I'm procuring from X cultivator is, you know, XYZ says what it is. So I want to get some clarity on, like, it sounds like to me, it's legal. And as long as I have a COA that comes from a licensed hemp grower, then I'm good to sell the product. I'm sure it's a little bit more complicated than that. Maybe, maybe not. But those to me seem to be the flags of making sure you're not buying marijuana from somebody. And as long as you have a paper trail of what it says it is, which is kind of even, I mean, to obviously speak bluntly on my own podcast, that's kind of some of the observation you hear with just cannabis products and hemp products in general, you know, Mm -hmm. as long as you have a COA and the COA says this, that's what the enforcer is going to look at. And if it says what it says it is, like that can hold up in court. Obviously there's a lot of issues now with COA manipulation and lab testing manipulation right. and things like that. So I do think it adds more complexity and makes that murkiness a little bit more murky. Mm-hmm. Like me as an operator, it's hard for me to just look the other way. So again, some of these people sure. are like, Oh, I have THCA flower. I'm like, But do you really like where does it where is it growing? Like who is it coming? Do you know the guy or are you just a middleman broker? Like I wouldn't feel comfortable unless I knew, you know, supply chain, the chain of command. And I just right. think that that's a little bit more confusing to identify presently in the arena that we're seeing THCA flower. It seems like a lot of shady people are like, yeah, I got THCA flower. And I'm like, but you also grow marijuana. Where do you get the hemp, you know, side right. of it? Right, where's that? So right. hopefully, you know, my thoughts made sense to you just as follow-up clarification of what you were saying, but yes, those seem to be the two kind of like veins of thought process around, is this legal? How do you access it? And then maybe I mean, the third thing to throw in, you know, how do I, as a retailer selling THCA flower, obviously when I sell hemp flower, my consumer knows it has trace amounts of THC. They could fail a drug test So the conversation is still the no, same. Yeah, sure. But when they are yeah. caught with it, I mean, it's the same conversation, right? You still have hemp flower. It's you have to have your, you know, labeling and your packaging. Hopefully, if you just have cannabis in a baggie, like I can't help you out. But I think a concern is <laughs> the ownership because I'm such a consumer-facing brand. I want to make sure I'm protecting my consumers, and as right. yes, I understand the CBD progression to DA progression to this, it's like they're all kind of in that same, you know educate the consumer, educate the industry. But I'm just curious if there's even more risk for the customer on, on something like THC flower because of its similarity to marijuana flower.
0: Yeah, I think possibly so. So what I'll do is I'll, we've been talking at the federal level, and a lot of what we're going to move to is going to be state specific. And I don't mean I'm going to dive into Texas or California or Minnesota or whatever. I just mean kind of state specification. So yeah, I'd like to sort of, Talk about this, you know, if you're a wholesaler or specifically a retailer and where you're getting your flour, what you should be looking for. And then we'll sort of use that as a segue to talk about some of these issues that you raised, which are all exactly the, the right issues to raise. So, you know, I talked about the two tracks. The gold standard, of course, is you've got Farm X over here. Farm X is a licensed hemp grower. You, you have you can look at their license grow. you can look at their pre harvest test to confirm. You have the whole chain, you have the post harvest COAs and you have all of that coming to you. That's the gold standard. That's great. I'm assuming it's okay in your state, but that's, we'll set that aside for now. Yes. <laughs> um, but you know, well before THCa flower, it's very different. It's been an issue that it's often hard to get, you know, the, the pre-harvest COAs or who the farm is. And that's because people, oh, a lot of times are very protective of their farms. You know, they've got a, they've, they found the perfect farm. They've got a great relationship with the farmer. They've got good pricing. They don't want someone to come and poach their farmer, so they're not going to reveal that information. And at the best, you might get a pre-harvest COA with that's redacted. Does that you know? you talk about these, you know, the, the the manipulation of the COAs. That's a huge problem. Again, like, kind of beyond the scope of us talking about THCa. Um, I don't want to dig into that, but it's a huge problem. And if something looks manipulated, it might be, and you should definitely follow up on that. But you know. So point being, you know, it's it's often hard to get a COA and information about the farmer, just regardless of whether they're talking about THC. So if you are, and I should preface this with the legal thing, this podcast and the things I say are not legal advice. This is what I do all day, every day. Please feel free to contact me. I'd be happy to talk with you and help you out with your particular situation. I'm talking in generalities right now. So generally speaking, that. you know,
1: I will also a put display where in at the bottom of the the episode too and <laughs> make sure this is not legal advice. <laughs> right. So, but you you brought
0: it exactly right. You're a retailer and people approach you. Hey, I've got some really good flour. You know, and here's the COA. You know, you're not gonna be privy all the time to the farmer, the pre harvest COA. You're just gonna be privy to, well, this looks good, it smells good, I've got looks to be a non-manipulated COA. In fact, I called the lab and they confirmed this is the right here. it's no more than point three percent delta nine. This looks good. Okay, that's that's fine. I mean, what else are you supposed to do? You know, um, you know, if you can meet the gold standard going back to the farm, that's great but if you can't and you have no reason to believe that this was you know grown illegally well then you know i believe i believe um, that this this that that's okay now, if you have reason to believe this, you know, you know, the guy and, and the guy just has been growing weed, you know, illegally forever. He suddenly shows up with this THCA flower. Well, maybe you have a little bit of a of a, of a a broader reason to not participate in the distribution of illegal marijuana. Of course, that begs the question of, you know, this this isn't illegal marijuana, but maybe the production of it was illegal. And we're getting into a lot of hazing issues here. Bottom yeah. line is, as a retailer, the pain, main thing you're concerned with is the post-harvest COA. And, and, and not knowingly participating in anything illegal of that. Getting a pre-harvest CAOA, by the way, is helpful for this gold standard, but, but it's, it's the least necessary item. You want to make sure that the thing that you're selling right now is, is legal. So moving past that, there are a few risks and things to consider. And one of those is kind of what to tell the customer. But this is really ultimately, we've been talking about the federal level, a state-by-state state level. So we've done a deep dive into the various states, and we've realized that states sort of come in three flavors. You use the stoplight red light, yellow light, green light analogy. The states are about a third, a third, a third. So there's about a third of the states that we've identified where THCA flower appears to be lawful. There's no prohibition, tracks the federal uh, standpoint, the uh, federal statute, and there's no you know post-harvest COA that's required. So we've got about a third of green states. We've got about a third of red states, and red states are either because they just don't allow smokable hemp, like California doesn't allow inhalable hemp, or they and or they're red because it's very clear that post harvest um, COAs have to show 23% total THC. That's Oregon, so red light can't sell there. But there's about a third of the states where, you know, as a lawyer who does this and we're analyzing, it's really unclear. And that could be for a number of reasons that I won't bore the audience with. But you know, the example might be that the regulations are internally contradictory. Um, or, you know, the way the definitions are are set out in some places, they talk about total Delta 9 THC versus total THC. You know, there's some thing that we think, well, there's a good argument. This is legal. There's a good argument. It's illegal. Be cautious if you decide to, to go that route. So that's that kind of state play out. But to get the state issue in most states and perhaps all states, if there is reason for a cannabis Sample to be seized by law enforcement, whether it's a consumer or a raid on the store or whatever, that law enforcement is going to send their their sample to the state crime lab. And the state crime lab almost always tests using gas chromatography. It's a testing method that is widely accepted throughout the world for all sorts of different uses. perfectly fine except for this issue. And the reason is gas chromatography heats up a sample in order to, and and the scientists who are watching this are going to shake their heads, I'm just doing a very general thing, but essentially heats the sample so that the compounds in the sample begin to elute. they begin to be released so that they can be measured. Uh, well, what happens to THCA when you heat it up? If it's heated up sufficiently, which gas carbohydrate will do, it will decarboxylate, convert to delta 9. And so you you input, let's just say, theoretically, you have an absolutely legal sample, high THCA that will push delta 9 sample. You know that going in, it goes into the machine, comes out, it heats up, and it comes out super hot. And so the machine itself has Made this product illegal. It's like a, it's like a, like a radar gun uh, that speeds up the car. You know, you're going 55, but the cops have, "Look, my radar gun says you're going 80." But yeah, your radar gun is the thing that speeds my car up. It, that's a silly analogy, but that's essentially the thing. Makes sense. So that's absolutely. what happens across the country. And so for for stores or customers, you know, you have to know that if there's a seizure, that's what's going to happen. And to my knowledge, I'd love to hear feedback from other people if they've heard of this. I've been on the lookout for it. I don't know of a case where this has been an issue. I would say it's something akin to evidence tampering. It's the long standard, whatever. But but this is a legal issue that might have to be battled. And I can imagine an expert testimony, a scientist saying, no, explaining this in more scientific terms, why this is the wrong standard. You can also imagine a prosecutor saying, yeah, but this is the standard that we've always used. And a judge saying, well, it's a standard we've always used, but this guy's saying it's not right for cannabis, Well, why should we make an exception, blah, blah, blah. So this is an open legal issue, and it is a major concern. That to me is, is is one of the biggest concerns, and so for retailers, there are a lot of things that I think are important to tell your your customers. I think you need to let them know. Obviously, this you're going to fail a drug test if you have to take them. There's THC in this, but also I think it's important to have feelable, professional-looking containers. Don't just have a, a baggie from the grocery store. You know that you're you know how many grams you want. Dumping it in there, you go.
1: Deli uh, that's, style. I think
0: it's good to have it seat. Deli style. We don't want deli style right now. We want it because we don't want to create a probable cause, right? right? If you're in a state where hemp is legal, this type of thing, this is a legal product. It's got the QR code or the COA that you can address right then and there. It's probably not a good idea for someone to be smoking this in their car for a lot of reasons. You know, this this is intoxicating. There's all sorts of studies about driving and cannabis, which are beyond the scope of this. But it is intoxicating. and, and But, you know, as important is the fact that if you get pulled over, it's you're going to get that checked out, you know. So that's another piece to be aware of. And and I typically in states, not all states, but a lot of states don't have any age laws about hemp. I say for for the safety of parents who don't want their kids consuming any kind of cannabis or rape, but also for the safety of the industry, you need to put a strong age verification system, age gating on your, don't just check a box. Yep. Or I'm 21. Boom. Any, any three-year-old can figure that out. You know, so- you want to have very strong age verification because the hemp industry, if it, it's going to progress, and I think it needs to, it's, I, I think it's really liberalizing cares needs to be a, at this point, self-regulating industry. Don't sell to miners. Don't sell products with, with the junk in them. Don't, and, you know, and so on and so forth. So those are some of the big concerns that I taught clients about, testing and that, and that getting information to consumers correctly, and also making sure that receiving and what you're selling is a good product. And that you're doing it lawfully under your state laws.
1: no super super helpful to just frame it up obviously so much of operating in cannabis in general but especially in hemp i feel like is living in this nebulous gray area of is this legal or is this someone's interpretation of it and then obviously like you're saying and sharing it really comes down to your state i often reflect and talk on the podcast you know i'm fortunate i'm in austin austin has a little bit more liberal policy to cannabis than let's say middle of nowhere Texas so depending on where you happen to get pulled over you know you have to be mindful of what law enforcement you are interacting with and so you touched on it but I just wanted to clarify because it sounded like you're like open to hearing from people if they have had any I want to say like negative issues around THCA flower have you heard of anything since it's kind of hit the market any seizes any lawsuits any states that have tried to make sense of it or kind of, you know, yeah. write it out of their bills and legislation. Like, I'm just curious so far since it's come out, because it's been fairly new on my radar. I mean, maybe within the last six months. But, yeah, you know, I'm just curious if anything has come up that is something that we can look towards to see, OK, well, maybe this state is handling it. Maybe they're the you know red kind of state. But like you said, Oregon and California, it seems like they're they're not targeting THCA flower from hemp. They're just targeting smokables
0: from hemp. Right, exactly, and some of the some of the the DA regulations would apply. A lot of states, a lot of states dove into toxicating, which is I don't know how you could ever define that because caffeine's intoxicated, but that's another issue. You know, but they <laughs> yes. said, well, we won't deal with those synthetic or not. I will just say total THC for products. You know, and that's right. Uh, that's how a lot of states are dealt with, and that would you know impact THCA flower by definition. But to answer your question, I think it is a little bit too new. So we're recording this on. January twenty fifth, twenty twenty three. I imagine that over the course of twenty twenty three, we're going to see this issue come up in court cases. We're going to see regulations. We're going to see laws, and 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 see how that plays out. There there was a raid of in South Carolina, and in the press, the law enforcement, it's it's state law enforcement, has has talked about uh, quote unquote real marijuana. But what I have found in talking with law enforcement, and I've had by the way a lot of good conversations with with very reasonable law enforcement. And I've also had lots of conversations with a really unreasonable, unknowledgeable law enforcement. But what I've found is that I doubt this is because they've identified THCA file. South Carolina has a pretty controversial and very poorly written law that, that arguably makes, we sled contends, makes smokeable hemp illegal altogether. I disagree, but we're not talking talk about that here today. But the bottom line is it could be equally well that they just found cannabis flower and, and now this is real marijuana, blah, 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 and that's just their stick. So I don't know. That's a possibility that that was the case, but I'm unaware of any other, other issues. But I think we'll see it, and I think it's important for the hip industry participants to, to be aware that this is out there. Certainly, as with most things in the hemp industry over the over the years. Absolutely, there is risk associated with dealing with THC flowers. So, you know, you got to go into this with eyes open. And if you're going to go into it, you need to make sure that you're well educated and that you're taking the time to implement, you know, SOP standard operating procedures for how you're going to go about it. You know, what happens if our shop gets raided because a competitor or a parent or a you know, prohibitionist or a big marijuana company, you know, reported you for selling real marijuana and you get a raid and they come up and these issues come up. Are you gonna be prepared to deal with it? You're gonna have your your chain of custody and your and your documents where you were ordering hemp and your COAs in line and you're gonna have your experts and your lawyers and everything ready. That's a worst case scenario I and mean, most people face that, but this is the way to plan going forward so that we can all enjoy the benefit of cannabis and and cannabis expanding and, and the profits that go with showing a product that's popular and so on and so forth.
1: I have to say thank you for the time. We're wrapping things up right now. I learned so much from you, as I always do, and as I knew I would from this conversation, but really do appreciate the way that you brain did, broke it down. Obviously, you're a practicing lawyer, so people should absolutely contact you because this episode was not legal advice. This was really just trying to have a curious conversation to make sense of THCA and really just get to have you on the podcast. Like I said, been a big fan of your content over the years and know that you're representing a lot of great change in the industry. That happens to affect at a national level as well as trickle down into some of the state stuff as well so thanks for joining us on the podcast today and any final thoughts I always like to ask my guests you know you were kind of touching on you know it's too early to tell the THCA flower so we'll see what happens in 2023 but like on a positive note what are you excited for in 2023 for hemp whether it's something at a federal level at a state level obviously this year they are supposed to be renewing the 2018 farm bill which I guess gets renewed every year but that's the last time they dealt with it so now they're supposed to have some updates to it. What are you hopeful for? Anything that comes to mind that we can kind of, you know, aspire to see happen in 2023?
0: Sure. Two quick thoughts. One is exactly what you brought up, and that is that we almost could certainly expect to see a 2023 farm bill that will address hemp. That's exciting, and it's a nail biter too because there are now we've had almost 10 years uh, legalization, and, and and legislators and lobbying groups are all familiar with what can be done. What they are now. In the language and so there are going to be a lot of attempts to push that language and you know backwards forwards whatnot and so it'll be very exciting and 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 nerve-wracking to to watch that process if you are in the cannabis industry and particularly if you're in the hemp industry you care about cannabis absolutely you need to get knowledgeable about the farm bill and reach out to your representatives and say a minimum support the language of the now that you'd like it expanded so very excited about that and then also very excited about International trade in cannabis, generally, again, that tends to be hemp because most countries, including the United States, marijuana is federally legal. You cannot do international trade and well, except in very, very specific circumstances. Don't really apply to anyone who's watching, but but hemp you can with with other countries, and that's continued to expand. I, I live a good chunk of my time in Mexico. Mexico's expanding on clients in Europe, and and so that is just going to continue to grow in twenty twenty three, and we're excited about that as well too.
1: All great things. To look so, thanks for to having you me. Uh, your
0: questions and your your knowledge and everything's been
1: great. I've had a, a wonderful discussion, Shada. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time being on the show. Love this episode of To Be Blunt. Be sure to visit the slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at Tarabi.